Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. It's my pleasure today to welcome John Carney to the show. Welcome, John. Hi, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, John is the director of go-to-market strategy at Eventry. They are an event management tech company. And we have a topic that we have not talked about on the show yet, which I'm super fascinated to discuss, which is all about how do you enable sellers to sell new solutions. So those could be new solutions that come about organically due to some product development that happens internally, or it could be via acquisitions. So I, I think there's a, a lot of interesting ground to cover on that. And fortunately, John's had a decent amount of experience there. John, I'm going to ask you first, what's your, your favorite sales book of all time? And maybe one or two key takeaways from that. On a previous podcast that you did, someone mentioned Breaking the Sales Management Code, which I think is a great sales book. And to me, is it really changed the way I approach sales. And I think that's a great story. But that story has been told. And so I'm going to go a little off the wall with my, my choice here. And that's a book called uh, Sapiens, which has absolutely nothing to do with sales whatsoever. It's a story of the history of humankind and how we have evolved since uh, the prehistoric state uh, into what we are now. And I think what's really applicable for sales is the importance of stories. And when we evolved as a humankind, you know, one of the first things we started to do that separated us was to tell stories. And so, you know, what are those stories we tell? How are those stories impacted by, you know, what's what's going on around us? How do we tell those stories in effective ways? Uh, and for sales, it's, you know, how do we establish those stories? And then how do we, you know, take those stories to market? It's so relevant to the topic we're going to go through. So I, lo- I love that setup. Uh, on the story part, I mean, you're right. I mean, storytelling is a fundamental part of who human beings are. And yet you talk to a lot of people and they don't feel that they're good storytellers. Do you have any quick story hacks for people who maybe feel less confident about their own storytelling ability? That's a great question. And I think the first thing that I put out there is this concept of the hero's journey. So all of us are, as storytellers, are telling the story, hopefully, of a hero. And oftentimes in sales, that's the story of your customer helping to navigate you know, from the time they're sitting on their couch or sitting in their world doing their job day to day, something happens, something triggers them out into the world, something disrupts them and they go off on this journey. They run through a series of challenges. If you can map a story around this arc and you can Google the hero's journey and you know, try to understand the elements of it, I think if you can stick to that, that's the story that's going to compel your clients. Uh, and there's a couple of good books that McKinsey's put out over the years about how they structure stories and how they structure presentations around you know establishing a situation and opportunity and a resolution. So again, those are just things you can Google that you know when I've been working on stories in, in different forms over the years that I keep going back to the hero's journey. Well, I think the story concept is a good segue into our main topic of the day, which is is to talk about enabling sellers to sell new products either organically or via acquisition. I'd just love to hear some of your you know, experiences either at a, at a Ventry or your experiences pre-Aventry. Yeah, definitely. So I can talk about Aventry specifically. So uh, I've been here for two years and we're in rapid growth phase, which is both organic growth and then you know through acquisition, um, bringing new teams on board. And as we've been going through that, especially on the acquisition side, 
you know, there are new products <laughs> that we're adding uh, strategically to our mix based on what we know the market uh, is asking for and what they need and what they want. And so we're making those strategic acquisitions. Well, of course, those are all great products and there's a reason we brought them all on. But now we need to take a team that was used to selling a different product to get them up to speed. You know, there's always conversations in executive boardrooms about, you know, is, should the existing team try to sell this? Should we keep these teams siloed and just have, you know, the sales team that comes with this acquisition sell that stuff? Or do we want to go through the pain and hassle of getting everyone on board to sell these new products and solutions? Our strategy, our philosophy is that in order to give the customer the best experience possible, we have to have one person that they can speak with, not have three different salespeople selling them three different things. So we go to a lot of effort to get that accomplished. And because of you know the speed that we need to do this at, it is heavily based around enablement. And so how do we do that? Obviously, when these new products come in, there's typically, uh, by, almost by design, a new segment of the market that we want to go after that we haven't gone after historically, and most often a new buyer or two that we're not used to dealing with that we need to bring into the fold. Those are the two of the, the main things that we, you know, we enable the team with is to say, okay, based on you know, this acquisition, here are some new accounts that you should pursue, and here's why, and then here are some new people that you need to understand. And that you need to get into a place where you can be empathetic with uh, and understand you know, what they do on a day-to-day basis, understand their hero's journey. At Aventry, like you said, we're uh, historically an event management solution, but we've evolved. Uh, and actually, a year and a half ago, we evolved to the point where we needed a new name and we rebranded and rewrote our story. We were a company called eTouches then, and now we are called Aventry. And as part of that, you know, the people that we deal with has evolved. So we have our typical event planners who use our core offering, a lot of registration, email marketing, website hosting. But over time, you know, that turns into a mobile app. And then that mobile app, it turns into what we've been seeing a lot of in the last year is meeting planners using this solution. They have tons of meetings and those meetings are very important. They typically generate revenue. And so getting to know meeting planners and the ins and outs of meeting planners is essential. And so getting the team up and ready to have a different type of discussion with different goals that they have, with different means of getting their job done, with different metrics that they're comped on, that their MBOs are based around. These are all different things that need to be considered and, and understood. I was just reflecting on you know your own experiences and even some of mine. And uh, the first question I kind of had was basically, are you selling to the exact same human, right? Like, are you selling to the same buyer? And then the next question is like, okay, if not there, are you selling to the same type of buyer? Are the value props that an event planner versus a meeting planner seeking relatively similar? Like, is it the same language or is it really a different sort of a language in the way that they think about return on investment and goals and so on? So I think there's some commonalities that they both are attracted to, and then there's some differences. So a couple examples, you can tell the same story, like one of the stories that we uh, enable the team around is, let's make the job easier. So you know that applies to either side, and, and all of our solutions can help both a meeting planner and event planner do that. It, it, you know, it reduces manual tasks, it, it reduces the amount of time you need to spend editing, sending spreadsheets around. That's 
applicable. We want to make your events and or your meetings more effective. We want the results of those meetings to be better. You know, you can tell that story the same. We focus uh, heavily on cost reduction and making this more amenable to your budget. That again is applicable. And then we want to tie, you know, your event strategy into a corporate strategy. And again, that that applies to both. So there's a story there that, you know, we can tell the one story. And if you go to our website, that's going to be a story that you can get individually. But then, you know, beyond that, if you dig into that, yeah, they're definitely gold on different things. It's how many people are coming, how many registrations do we have, how many people show up. Of course, you know, a lot of clients will do some sort of an NPS or, you know, an attendee survey afterwards. And those are the things they're looking at. Meeting planners look at it much differently. Um, they look at how many meetings are we having? How much are we going to make off of these meetings? How much are we going to have to spend? Where are we going to have those? You know, typically we have to source many events as opposed to, you know, just our one or two big events a year. So there's definitely differences that we need to draw on at a kind of a minute level, but there is one overarching story that we tell that is applicable to both. I mean, it does feel that they're similar enough that you could enable the current sellers to sell the second solution. Are there contexts that you know either you've experienced or you can think of where trying to get the existing sales force to sell the new thing is like charging a windmill? It's it's a losing proposition. Yeah, I'd say there's examples of that. And that's something we continue to work on. But some of these solutions, I mean, they're so wildly different, both in terms of, you know, budget, you know, we're spending $5,000 a year on this, this over here, that's going to run you half a million dollars. So there's something drastically different, even though if you're an individual, they might seem like they're doing the same thing. So that's a, that's a whole business acumen. It's knowing not just how to deal with the meeting planner, but how to go to the CFO and how to go to you know VP of sales potentially or VP of meetings. So there's definitely you know some some struggles in that even if you kind of understand them due to the complexity of the solution, due to the number of people that need to be involved in the decision and where in the world they potentially may be. You know that's one of the harder things to capture is is just not just the one meeting planner but everyone that comes with that package. I was working for a uh, IT research and consulting company, so information tech centric. And we bought two companies at the exact same time. And one company was another IT research and consulting company, a smaller one. The other company was a supply chain management research and you know consulting slash advisory company. Uh, originally, we pursued the same strategy for enabling the sellers in both of those worlds. With the smaller IT company we bought, we changed there. I think they had like, I don't know, tw- somewhere between 12 and 20 salespeople. We had probably over a thousand salespeople at the time. Uh, we changed those 15 to 20, whatever the number was, into product specialists. And you know they would ride along basically virtually or, or physically with the existing sales force. And there came a time after about a year or so where you didn't even really need them to do that because they were selling to the same person and they were fundamentally selling the same sort of value proposition in contrast, we try to do the same thing by having those same sellers sell the supply chain management offering, but that was to a new role inside of the companies. And you know, that, that, that worked out as you would expect it would work out, <laughs> not fantastically well. And, and it took a lot of investment of time and energy and strategy and whatnot to, to really come to that realization Exactly. And that's a, you know, it's a strategic decision. Every company has to make there's, you know, and the definition of strategy is deciding what you're going to do and then what you're not going to do. And so it, it is a series of trade-offs and you got to look at the 
complexity of the product, how specific and niche, you know, getting to know these buyers is healthcare obviously always presents, you know, a unique set of challenges just because there's much more regulation and HIPAA compliance and different regulations. So, you know, selling into those can be much more difficult, but as much as we can, we try to get, you know, the existing sales team for their own benefit and the benefit of the customers to learn the new world. And that's where I spend a lot of my time. Well, I, I love to learn really tactical approaches to things. So, you know, let's take this case of, right, where you're trying to teach these event planning-centric salespeople to to talk meeting planning. How How do you actually go about making sure that they're able to do that? So I guess most people are probably familiar with the buyer's journey and this concept of, you know, touch points along that buyer's journey and having a good mix of touch points, et cetera. I would say the same when you're trying to enable a sales team. And for my purposes, my sales team are my buyers. And so it's a series of touch points across different media uh, over time that all comes together, you know, to make that happen. And that hopefully goes quickly, but sometimes, you know, it can be extended over six months or a year before, you know, the team really gets comfortable with that. So to start, you know, obviously, when a new product comes to market, we work with product marketing you know, to make sure everyone understands those value propositions, make sure they're comfortable kind of with the X's and those. And that's pretty straightforward. And we'll obviously communicate that to the market. But from there, you know, that's one training and one training is never enough. You know, you have to hear something seven times before it sinks in. We focus then from there on what are all the other touch points we can have. So, you know, obviously we'll communicate a lot through email with just some new topics, new things popping up. If, if we're mentioned out there in the world, we'll feed that to them via email. We do have, you know, every team has a, a you know weekly team calls where I will come on and either me alone or with a product team and you just spend 15 minutes there answering Q&A. So it's not just us you know, speaking to them, it's, it's coming and getting their feedback. We will use SalesLoft, of course. And, and one of the main things about SalesLoft is we can quickly enable them with that story and with that value props by putting it into cadence emails and potentially even using you know some scripting for voicemails and that sort of thing so we can give that to them and they you know as I think is probably your benchmark rule you know we want them to put some customization into that email but a lot of that is there for them and they can just send that out so that's a big component of it but we'll do internal webinars and internal training. We have our sales kickoff coming up where you better believe we're bringing all our products. We are an event-based company. It's an event. So everything that we have will be there for the team to see, feel. And when these come from acquisitions, you know, that sales team knows this a lot better. So it's having that team be quickly uh, assimilated into our team so that they can just be answering those questions one off all day long amongst their peers that they're more comfortable with. So I think those are all, you know, parts of the puzzle. Oh, and of course, last but not least, it's putting our people out in the market to see this stuff in action. It's a mix of all those things and all the touch points over time because everyone learns in a different way. So we need to provide it in literally every way we can think of. There's a couple other ideas I'm wondering if you've ever tried and they, that I have seen in, in especially some larger companies. One thing I've seen is to have a product champion, a bolt-on role, if you will, that maybe one person on each sales team has. I mean, yes, you need to enable the managers, absolutely, getting back to your cracking the sales management code, Jason Jordan book. But I think that product champion approach is a really uh, effective one. And it also is a signal that those people who are product champions are 
in the batter's box to become your future managers. Definitely. And I would say we do employ that at Aventry. You know, I'm just thinking through all the products. A lot of them came from an acquisition where now they're here and they are either by de facto or by design. Those people exist. And I would say that all of those people, they're not just ride along, you know, subject matter experts. They have day jobs and then they do this as well, which is to enable the rest of the team. Most of them are part of the sales team. They have their own number. And then we ask them on top of that to serve as subject matter experts. And luckily, <laughs> our team is always very amenable to that. We all understand the overarching team goal. Yeah, yeah. I had one other one I would add, which you don't see as much of because salespeople, you know, often find it uncomfortable. And I don't think sales enablement should shy away from it just because salespeople find it uncomfortable. But it's like the the much more rigorous certification where you need to, you know, stand up, for example, and role play or present the product and actually be scored against some sort of a standard where you can actually fail. Is that an approach you've ever taken where you actually have this true rigorous pass-fail certification for people on, on new products? Yeah. So, well, we do. Um, and now how rigorous from a pass-fail standpoint, we can discuss, but we, we definitely do that. So we have a learning management system called LearnCore. I think it's part of Showpad now. And one of the features of that is, is recording. Now our, our sales team is dispersed. So we have to use video recording, but we will do exactly that, which is for new product releases. Anytime new stories that we want to see, give us two minute rundown of that product. So we will ask them to record that. And then we do have, you know, we have for each one of those certifications, we'll put together grading criteria and, you know, based on tone, product knowledge, uh, understanding of the buyer and all of those things, you know, we will technically assess the team against. So for all intents and purposes, we're really putting that on them. I don't know that we fail too many people. We do give, you know, good, good, fair, critical feedback, but it's, you know, we haven't got to the point where we're saying, hey, if you don't pass this, which I've seen in my prior life, uh, if you don't pass this, you don't get to go forward. But I have seen that as well, just not here. Yeah. So interestingly enough, one of the places I was at, the manager asked us to fail them. And it was, there was a couple of reasons. I mean, one was that the this manager obviously wanted to signal that they were vulnerable and imperfect, and, and this was not going to be easy to pass. But the other reason was that uh, she wanted us to establish what the standard was, right? That that it should be better than she could do, which I thought was really, really admirable of her. So I, I do think that that you know, rigorous certification can be, can be super effective. I like that approach, and I, I, I might use that myself. Good <laughs> <laughs> sense of a cool signal. Well, we have a few minutes left, and I, I thought I would ask you, I mean, sometimes I like to ask people about their backgrounds a little bit when I see something particularly fascinating. So the particularly fascinating thing to me is is your undergraduate degree, that you got a degree in theology. So I'm wondering, just at a high level, how did you go from theology to go-to-market strategy and sales? As you may or may not know, when you graduate uh, with a degree in theology, your job prospects are pretty slim, as it turns out, which is <laughs> how I ended up in sales. Um, and actually, sales and bartending, you know, at the same time for a few years out of college, 
and so usually at the bar they'd ask me what what do you mean a theology degree now you're a bartender well now so it's a little easier to explain now uh after a few years in sales i figured at some point i i need to get more of a business acumen to do what i want to do in life so i went uh actually back to school back to notre dame and got my mba there which kind of changed my course after that, went into sales and marketing consulting for about six years and then ended up jumping here to Eventry, which was a client of mine. I mean, I guess you can draw parallels from, from any discipline, but are there key things you learned from your theology background that you think apply to being an effective salesperson? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I've touched on one of them already. I mean, theology and, and any liberal art is about storytelling. So, you know, and, and I think storytelling is a big part of my development and writing a lot and that sort of thing. And so that's a natural part of it. The other part is analysis. Um, and, you know, you can analyze a book as good as as well as you can analyze uh, a spreadsheet. But to try to dig in and say, why is this the way that it is? Well, let's think about all the external factors that drove that person to write that. And so looking at a spreadsheet, well, why are those, why are those metrics there? What are all the different uh, levers and, and all the different implications that we haven't considered? So I think from a left side of the brain, it's really about analytics and, and digging deep, not accepting things at face value, which uh, has been very helpful in my career. And then on the other side of the brain, you know, just storytelling, which, you know, I would say a lot of salespeople are good enough storytellers. But, you know, obviously to compete in a strong market, it's, you know, you got to be best in breed. So that's, I think those have been really beneficial to me. Can you let people know what's the best way to get in touch with you if they want to learn more about you or about Eventry? So you can find me on LinkedIn, which is a good place to start. John Carney, K-E-A-R-N-E-Y. You can always email me at john.carney at aventry.com, A-V-E-N-T-R-I.com. Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingshern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast. 